0: It is so great to be with you this morning. Those of you who are here in the room, those of you who are tuning in online, good morning. It is so great to be with you. My name is Jordan. I'm the youth director here at Harvest, and I have the great privilege of opening up God's word with us this morning. So if you have a copy of God's word with you, I'd encourage you to open it up to the book of Acts chapter one, which is where we'll start our time this morning. And as you're doing so, is it not true that we often confuse our needs and our wants? Is that not true? Whether it be our desire to, you know, keep up with the Joneses in this world to have the the next biggest and greatest thing, we often confuse that which we want to be something that we feel like we need, don't we? Come on, lift up your voice, don't we? We often do it. We might say that we need a house. Sure, we need a place to live, but do we need one with five or six bedrooms? Probably not. You might say that you need a vacation, but do you need one in the Caribbean? You might say that you need a smartphone, but do you need to stand in line at one of those crazy stores at a ridiculous time in the morning to get that brand new phone at the exact moment it comes out? I would say absolutely not. That's just crazy. You might need a car, but do we need one with all the new upgrades that's absolutely brand new? Some of us might say that we need golf clubs, but do we need brand new ones? Probably not. And to be perfectly honest with you, that one was mostly for me. See, while we often don't know exactly what we need, God does. God knows exactly what we need before we do. As Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 8, For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And such is the case for us as Christians when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, God knew that we needed help to live this life for him. He knew that we couldn't do it on our own. So at the culmination of the first part of the earthly ministry that Jesus does here on this earth, he makes a promise that he he would send us a helper the Holy Spirit, which would empower and indwell those who live in faith in him to continue the work that he started. At the end of the day, despite what this world may say, despite what we may think we need, we only really need Jesus. And he gives us the Holy Spirit. So we could say, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, as one who has been forgiven and saved, I am indwelt with the Spirit. And this morning, we'll look at what that means and how that should impact who we are and what we do. We've prayed already, so if it's okay with you, we're going to jump right into our first point here this morning, that as a Christian indwelt by the Spirit, I am empowered for mission. We're in this series as a church called The Crises of the Christ, looking at the crises that Jesus experienced as he spent his time here on this earth. And we come this morning to this crisis that Jesus had, which was the continued growth of the kingdom of God after he left this earth. Of course, last week, we celebrated Good Friday, the crucifixion and death, and burial of Jesus, and then Easter Sunday, his glorious resurrection. And we know after he rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples and many others for a period of, about few, of a few weeks, proving the resurrection by his tangible presence with his disciples. But after his time with them, it was time for him to return to heaven and to take up his place at the right hand of the throne of God, which is where we pick this up, In Acts chapter 1, look down with me at verse 4. And while staying with them, he, Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons. The father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. As we've seen already in this series and is seen for us again here, these disciples still don't get it. They're still expecting Jesus to get rid of the Romans in their area, to come as the Messiah in the power of of the political and military king that they believe him to be and to take the throne by force. But Jesus, he's doing something completely different here. Instead, he commissions them to establish the kingdom of God, not through politics, not through brute force, but by the proclamation of the good news of the gospel of himself, of the preaching and the teaching of others about him, and for which the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, would come. They were charged to go and tell other people that he was the way, the truth, And the life. And that forgiveness and freedom of sin comes only through him. And they were called to do that in their city, in their region, and in the entire world. These verses, in fact, serve as the main theme of the entirety of the book of Acts, which details the early stages of the formation of the church. And the growth of the mission of Jesus. What we have to understand about the bestowing of the Spirit here is that Jesus was able to bestow it because he was the son of God and because he lived his entire earthly life in the power of the same spirit from his incarnation into the world and the miraculous conception in mary's womb which the spirit worked in to the spirit descending on him like a dove at his baptism to his temptation to his entire earthly ministry jesus lived in the power of the spirit he promises to bestow upon the disciples that same spirit to indwell them and to fill them and to change them, that they may go and continue his work, his mission, which is exactly what happens in Acts chapter 2. So turn the page, swipe on the app, whatever you need to do, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, take a look. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they, the disciples, were all together in one place and suddenly... There came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Wow, am I right? This is one of those verses that I can come to and read in Scripture, and every single time I read it, my mind is blown. And unfortunately, our time here this morning won't allow us to fully dive into what this looked like. However, I'd point your attention to the sermon that Pastor Todd preached on this passage exactly in our Book of Acts series, the link to which is in your sermon notes. But what we see here is the Holy Spirit poured out. And the bestowing of the Spirit on the disciples is fulfilling the promise that Jesus had given to them in in Matthew 28, verse twenty, when He said, after giving them the Great Commission to go into all the world and tell them about about who he was, he says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, the work that Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, in the empty tomb, makes a way for us through faith in him to receive the Holy Spirit's indwelling and empowering to do his work and his will. As we understand that through Jesus, a new order by which the Holy Spirit in power and in presence could come to the people of God. It's important for us to understand that the Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity, the three-in-one God. And as such, he has the same power and divinity as God the Father and God the Son. And in the accomplished work of Christ, we see that the Spirit's power and presence is now available to any who would call on the name of Jesus Christ in faith. Jesus said in John fourteen twenty six, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said with you. It's here we see that all three of the members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are active in our salvation, becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, and in our sanctification, the process that we live in now of becoming more like Jesus. It was God the Father who purposed a way for us to come into relationship with him. It was Jesus who provided the way by which that could happen. And it is the Spirit who comes to empower us to live that out. The Spirit applies all the aspects of our salvation to our lives every day. love this quote from Wyatt Graham who wrote an article about this in the Gospel Coalition. He he says, by faith we unite to Christ and share in this spirit forever. God sees us as he sees Christ. And since the spirit can never leave Christ because he always remains faithful, then the spirit cannot leave us who are so united to Christ. The same spirit that... Supported and empowered Jesus' earthly ministry. Floods into the life of the Christ follower at the moment of conversion. As we are baptized into the Holy Spirit. And empowered to live for Jesus. To grow in our knowledge and experience of him. Which comes through a passion for his word, a desire to spend time with him every day, and a recognizing of our need to be with God and regularly communicate with him, which the Spirit works actively in, by the way, that we may live in his will and have the commands of Christ become the words that we live by. And as we live in the Spirit and grow in our knowledge of how we are to live in Christ, his mission then becomes ours as well. And that means, by the way, that we don't compartmentalize our faith. We do this so often, don't we? We put our faith in a little box. We show up to church on Sunday and we live the way that Christians are supposed to live. We say the words that we're supposed to say. We do the things that we're supposed to do. And so we live in our little church box with our faith being exercised here. But then when it comes to our hobbies, when it comes to our families, our vacation, our work. Don't read into the fact that the work box is smaller than everyone else. That's just consequential. We live a completely different way person that somebody sees on Sunday morning is completely different when we hit that Zoom call on a Wednesday morning. The person our unsaved family and friends see is completely different than our church friends see. You see, to live in the Spirit means that everything I do is empowered by the presence of the Spirit in me. Who I am on Sunday mornings, who I am with my small group, with my Christian friends, the person that my co workers see, with my attitudes, my actions, my words. When it comes to my vacation, my family, my hobbies, I mean, you put whatever box it is for you. The Spirit ought to be in and through everything that we are and everything that we do. Those who've been called to the mission of proclaiming Christ to this world, who we are needs to line up with what we proclaim. And although, of course, we will never be perfect, we are called to engage in this partnership with God by submitting ourselves to the work that he wants to do in our lives so we can be witnesses of that work to other people. It's when we are bought into living in the spirit in every area of our lives, surrendering to its work, engaging in and exercising our faith passionately committed to Christ that we see the spirit working in our lives, not just to change us, but to give us the boldness to be on mission for Jesus, to give us the words to say to other people, to tell others about Jesus. Because listen, casual, cultural Christianity isn't going to cut it. If it ever did, it definitely won't now. I think that many of us can shy away from being a part of the mission that God desires for us. From telling other people that we love Jesus or telling them about him because we are too afraid to answer the questions that may come. Because we have got so complacent in our faith that we are not searching for the answers ourselves. We're not spending enough time in God's word to truly know what it is that we have to say to other people. We haven't really taken ownership of our faith or our family's faith. The Spirit's indwelling in our lives empowers us for the mission of the gospel proclaimed. if we're not willing to get on it and live like it, if we're still seeking to hold a place of power and are hindering the work of the Spirit in our lives by trying desperately to hold on to the throne of our hearts, then God's going to find someone else to do His work. And that should grieve our hearts as Christians. Instead, we should engage in the mission and trust that the spirit will be working to bring us to where we need to be and to give us the words to say as we live in him and to do so together as I am. See this next as a Christian and dwelt with the spirit united with the church. Now tell me if this isn't true in your life, but when you become a Christian, it's as if you almost have a sixth sense for other Christians. Is that not true? Anybody ever experienced that before? My family and I had a chance to spend some time in Northern Quebec years ago on vacation. And, and one of the uh, couples that we met in the cabin that was next to ours was was absolutely lovely, just wonderful people. And, and uh, the guy invited us out on his boat to go fishing one evening, which of course we jumped at. And as we're chatting with this guy and, you know, the conversation is fairly shallow and simple, he starts the next conversation by saying, now, I can't, Entirely sure, but I feel like you're people who live with faith. And it was as if in that moment that our spirits were knit together as we heard his story and found out that he and his wife serve so faithfully at a church in the GTA and love Jesus and follow him and are searching to live their lives for his glory. And it was awesome. Ever experienced that? In the line of the grocery store, pumping gas, wherever you were. See, the spirit's indwelling of our lives unites us together with other believers as the church of Jesus Christ, which is exactly what Paul says when he writes in Ephesians 4 verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Through what Christ has done for us and called us to missionally, there is one body of Christ. There is one church. Different iterations of that, different philosophies of ministry, different looks on Sunday mornings, that's for sure. But in those churches that are founded on the word of God and the rock that is Jesus Christ, there is no division or competition but unity. If I can speak personally for a moment, that's one of the things that excites me so much about God leading our elders to decide to to align with Acts 29, to have that be our affiliation. We're looking forward to Church Planning Sunday, which will come up in two weeks. Make sure that you're here for that, whether here in the room or online. It's going to be a great time for us to unpack what Acts 29 looks like for us. But the reality of a group, of this group, is that churches look different. Different denominational backgrounds, there's certainly different ministry philosophies and and maybe even priorities. There's some even that differ on areas that we would say are of secondary or tertiary importance when it comes to doctrine, but all of the churches that are a part of Acts 29 are founded on the core theological principles and on the mission that we have been called to as a church to make disciples and to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this world. And that's awesome. I hope you're excited to be a part of that as I am. Because when it comes down to it, there is one church of Jesus Christ and there should be an organic unity. That exists in those churches because there is one spirit that unites us together and there is one hope that belongs to each of us of what is to come when we pass this life and so listen if we're all just headed to the same destination why don't we hop on this journey together because if we're honest a majority of the reasons that people leave churches or churches split are for reasons or sources that are not of the spirit Our pride, our arrogance, they all get in the way as soon as something in the church goes the way that we don't want it to or isn't beneficial for us. Certainly we must be on guard for ourselves and and appoint leaders and, and godly elders to do the same for our churches and be careful to ensure that we are following the path that Christ has marked out for us. But when it comes to our relationships with other believers and in the church and with other churches, Unity should be a top priority. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul uses the analogy in speaking of this, that we as believers are the temple of God. He actually uses that analogy twice. First, actually specifically in the context of divisions in the church, 1 Corinthians 3.16. He says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? In the original language, the Greek word for you that he uses there is plural. He's talking to the gathering of believers in the local church at Corinth. He's talking, he's saying that you collectively are the temple. You are the dwelling place of God in this world. You stand as a beacon of hope to a dying world. And secondly, a little later on, he says similarly in 1 Corinthians, Corinthians six nineteen, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? And in this case, the word you he uses there is singular. Spoken in the context of personal holiness and battling with sin. But the point being, the point that Paul's trying to make here, whether it's individual believers or the body of believers and the gathering of the local church, we are the temple of God with the Spirit indwelling and unifying all of us. Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario, is the temple of God, and we are indwelt by the Spirit of God as the body of Christ and as individual believers. And listen, that's why it's so important that we gather together. As those who have the Spirit dwelling inside of us, we are united together with other believers who have the Spirit dwelling inside of them. And nothing will translate into success in our mission more than when we do it together. Now more than ever, it seems, the need to stand arm in arm with other believers is required. So as we consider this this morning, if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to jot this down. I've got a little bit of a unity checklist for you this morning. Four things for you to consider how you're doing when it comes to cultivating spiritual unity. And the first is this, am I serving gladly? Have I found a place to serve in the church and am I getting to work? Obviously things are different right now and, and the way that our ministries are operating looks a little bit different than they have in the past, but the reality is there are still places to serve. There are still places that we ought to be pouring ourselves into the life of the church by setting ourselves, by setting myself aside to be able to serve for the good of others. Don't know where you need to serve? Don't know where you're gifted to serve? Well, hey, let us help you with that. Pastor Dwayne needs people on the welcome teams on Sunday mornings. Miss Jeannie's going to need people for high five. If we're going to run that awesome camp this summer, we need people to get on board with that. She needs people down at Harvest Kids every single week. Harvest Youth that meets here on Tuesday nights needs small group leaders. Forgive me for putting extra emphasis on that. Production needs volunteers. The worship team needs gifted musical people to help lead us in worship. Thomas in facilities. Listen, find your place to serve and serve in it. And don't just serve in it, but do it gladly out of the overflowing love in your heart for God and your desire to continue the mission of Jesus Christ in this world and in this church. It's a story I love to tell, and anybody who's here as a youth leader will know this because I tell it all the time. But in 1962, as President Kennedy is touring the brand new NASA space facility, as they're pursuing space travel, He's taking a tour of the facility and he stopped to speak with a man who was sweeping the floor. So being the good and personable president that he was, he went up and asked the man, what do you do here? And the man replied, I'm helping put a man on the moon. Something as seemingly so so simple in our minds as sweeping the floors and keeping the place clean. This guy got what he was doing when we serve in the church, no matter where it is or what it is, we are continuing the mission of making disciples that make disciples. Am I serving gladly? How about this next one? Am I connected relationally? Now, I know, of course, in the pandemic that having a chance to spend time in relationships with other people is, is more difficult, right? It has almost given us license to, to be bad at this. It's harder to meet in small groups. It's harder to connect as accountability partners. It's tougher to get together as families. I know. Relationships are harder now. But that need for them in our lives is just as, if not more, vital than ever. So get connected and stay connected. Not connected for just your sake or for only your sake to selfishly get whatever you want to get out of your relationships. But am I selfless in my relationships? Am I willing to move what's on my calendar for the needs, certainly, of someone else, but for the wants also of someone else? Work to be in God-honoring, spirit-filled relationships. Listen, if you're not in a small group, get in a small group. If you're in a small group, pray about whether or not you could be an apprentice to start a new small group. If you're leading a small group, pray about who you may lead to start a brand new small group. Which leads us actually into number three. Am I ready to welcome others in? One of the beautiful things about the church is the the beautiful tapestry that God is weaving as he calls people from every corner of the earth, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, united together by the spirit, empowering faith in Jesus Christ. But have I become too interested in just protecting my little thing? My comfortable small group. My comfortable friend group. Whatever the case may be, that I am not willing to welcome other, in, other people in. Has this church become too concerned with just keeping our Christian status quo that we aren't willing to take a risk on things in our small group being a little awkward for a while as we welcome somebody else in? certainly hope not, and Lord, let it not be so. How about this last one? Am I a pleasure to disagree with? Am I a pleasure to disagree with? I'm not going to take credit for this one. I found it on Twitter. I can't remember where, but this line has stuck with me. Along the lines of our relationships, how do I do when people disagree with me? Does every conversation I engage in where someone else and myself have opposite views on something, does it end in frustration every time? Are people unwilling to share their opinions with me because they know how I'm going to react? Am I so stubbornly set in my ways that when I make a decision, I am unwilling to move on it? Am I able to be influenced or am I so stubbornly set that There's no way I'll change my perspective. Now, of course, not that this pandemic has given us anything to disagree on. But these kinds of things kill our communication. As repeated enough times, when people come to me to voice an opinion, it becomes less about what they're saying or what I might say and how they know I'm going to say it. how other people know i'm going to respond when i disagree unity is still possible when two people dif- disagree on how something should be handled or responded to or dealt with by the spirit alive and active in our lives but am i humble enough to still be someone others can be around even when we disagree of course this list is in no way comprehensive how are you doing with even just these four things how are you being led to not just be united in purpose or in passion with other people but to be cultivating spiritual unity where the lord has led you what do you need to review about this list this week what do you need to pray about because in fact we are united together by the spirit that lives inside of us and the hope that we have because of what Christ has done on our behalf. Which leads us then finally to this. That as a Christian, I am indwelt with the Spirit, empowered for the mission, united with the church, and one with Christ. It's in the provision of the Spirit which indwells us when we call on the name of Christ to save us that we are united together with him which is what we see in Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 10, as the Apostle Paul says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. As we've talked about already in in the working out of our salvation and our sanctification and becoming more like Jesus Christ, we are united with him in the process of becoming more like him by our growing in our knowledge of him and what he calls us to. The spirit does not just enable us to do the work of Christ, but it grows us in our capacity and capability to know Jesus Christ as through Jesus and our coming to him for saving faith. The spirit indwells us, but it's through the indwelling of the spirit that we come to know Jesus in an even greater way. As we grow in the righteousness that is ours through him, that manifests itself in a pursuit of Christ's likeness, in living out the way that he would long for us to live, in doing the things that he has called us to. And although we will struggle with sin in our bodies, as Paul says here, will and are bound to die physically, our spirit is alive. In the Holy Spirit's uniting us together with Jesus. And although the first part of his bodily work on earth is complete, as he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, awaiting the time when he will come back in glory through the spirits working in us, as Jesus says in John 15, 26, but when the helper comes, he will bear witness about me. Spirit works to make us know more about Jesus and in turn be more like Jesus, that we may bear witness to the world about him by our becoming more like Christ, by our lives being so united together with him that when people see us, they see Jesus. While so much of the work of the Spirit may seem mysterious to us, the reality is that the Spirit works very clearly in the words that he inspired that we hold in our hands. The spirit works when it comes to the scriptures, not just to draw us to them, but for us to be able to understand them and to see how it applies to our lives. I mean, I don't know how many times I've had it happen in my life and I've heard other people say that when we can come to a passage of scripture that we have read over and over and over again, and, and for some reason, This one time that we come to it, it's like it comes alive in a brand new way. Ever experienced that? That's the work of the Spirit. As we read these words and take them seriously, carving time out of every day to meet with God and to hear His words penetrate into our heads and into our hearts As we pray that he would reveal more of Jesus to us in the Bible, we will see change in our lives because of it, if we humble ourselves before it. The work of the Spirit at the moment that we come to know him is to take our spirit. Of course, us understanding that we are both physical body and we are spiritual spirit, but to take our spirit that was once broken and skewed by sin and to instead refocus it on Jesus Christ. And as we grow in our relationship with God and the Spirit works in us, new things are revealed. And our capacity and capability to understand more of Christ grows as we spend time walking with Him, as the days and months and years of faithful following Jesus go by. So the Spirit reveals deeper truths about the nature and the work of Jesus so that we may dwell with him more closely, more deeply. Morgan explains this point and this work of the Spirit in this way. Thus it is that while the youngest believer may seem to be in possession of all the facts concerning Christ, as years pass through varied, the varied disciplines of life and the operation of an abiding communion, it is seen that the things known were hardly known and the facts recognized were imperfectly realized. And gradually and yet surely with the passing of the years through every window, new light is streaming and new meanings are dawning to the soul. All these things, however, are only learned as to their fullness of value and of meaning as the Spirit reveals them according to the demand of occasion and the capacity of the learner. And while we know that we will never fully arrive at knowing all the things of Christ, as we grow day by day in our fellowship with Him, in the reading of His words, in the doing of His commands, the Spirit works to reveal more of Him and His wonderful nature to us a beautiful and amazing reality as we find ourselves falling deeper and deeper into unity with Jesus every day through the indwelling Holy Spirit. So may we, as Christians, live in the, dwelling, in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to empower our mission, to unite us together in faithful, Spirit-filled, loving unity as we grow in our oneness with Christ. Today, as you can tell, we have the opportunity to witness some baptisms here this morning. And actually, it's three young people who will be baptized today, one in each service. And baptism, of course, is an outward expression of an inward reality, a decision to be made in obedience to Christ, as those baptized publicly declare that which we have been talking about this morning. That they have been and are being made to be one with Christ. And some of you, as an application of this message here today, as a follower of Christ, need to make the decision to be baptized because you haven't yet. And the great news is that we're not just doing baptisms this week, we're doing them next week too, so you can't even escape this. If you're a follower of Christ, but you haven't yet taken this step to to publicly declare that you are one with Christ, contact us and get that done next week. The baptisms give us a chance to rejoice in the work that God is doing in our church and to unite us together in celebrating what God is doing here. But it's also for those of us who are followers of Christ, who have been baptized, it is a chance for us to remember that which Christ has done and is doing in us. Are you living in the indwelt Holy Spirit? Or are you hindering his work in some way? May this question be on each of our minds today, this morning, and this week as we go from this place. Let me pray for us. God Almighty, you are indeed a great and holy and mighty God. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy that you bestow upon us daily. You know we need it. We fail so often to live as you would desire us to do, to allow the Spirit to work in us, to make us more like Christ, because we can't get our eyes off of what's going on around us, or we can't get ourselves off the throne of our hearts. So God, today I pray as your spirit moves and works in this room to convict the hearts of those who are far from you, to encourage the hearts of those who are seeking after you, to call those who don't yet know you or maybe believing misconceptions about you to the truth, we pray, Father, that you would do a mighty work for your glory. You would bring lives into humble obedience with you that you would bring us a greater passion and desire for the mission, that we'd be willing to surrender ourselves and our comfort to proclaim the truth that we hold dear or claim to. God, we pray that you would unite this church together, that we would love one another desperately because of the Spirit alive in each of us. And would that be, God, a beacon of hope shining into the world of darkness? Father, would you continue to grow us in our capacity and capability to know your son, Jesus Christ. That we may be one with him. That we may live in the righteousness that we can claim before you because of what he has done and bestowed upon us. So thank you for this time, Lord. And thank you for what's about to happen here. We're grateful for what you're doing in our church. Continue it for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.